Elijah then told all the people, approach me. So all the people approached him. He repaired the altar of Yahweh that he had been torn down. They have torn down the altar of Yahweh. He has to rebuild it. These are large stones that he would barely be able to lift by himself. And then Elijah took the 12 stones corresponding to the number of the tribes that descended from Jacob to whom Yahweh had said, Israel will be your name. Now remember the word Israel means God fights. That is very fitting right here. He's invoking the 12 stones of Israel, which links you back to the Jordan River with Joshua building an altar to God. So we have this second Exodus thing going on. And then he emphasizes the fact of how Israel has been, or Jacob was renamed Israel, which means God fights because they've been trying to fight and nothing's happening. Now God is going to fight the battle with lightning. Around the altar, he made a trench large enough to contain two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut up the bowl, and placed it on the wood. Then he said, fill the four waters and pour on the water, offering the wood. When they had done so, he said, do it again. So they did it again. Then he said, do it a third time. So they did it a third time. The water flowed down the sides of the altar, and he filled the trench, and it was time for the evening offering. Elijah the prophet approached the altar and prayed. So not only has he given them an advantage, now he's drenching the altar and the wood and the animal with water. Giving him them, he's giving himself another disadvantage. Now he's tying his legs and his arms behind his back, saying, I'll still beat you, or Yahweh will. And then he prayed, O Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Now remember that phrase from Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob. It specifically refers to the fact that none of the pagan gods were known as gods of people. They were always God of the storm, God of the sun. But God said, I'm a God of people. I'm a God of relationships. And remember the Abrahamic Isaac and Jacob emphasizes the Abrahamic covenant. So that phrase emphasizes the fact that God is a relational, covenantal God of people. And there is no other pagan God who is a God of people, relationships, or covenants. And so Elijah reminds them that your God is different. Your God is a relational God of people and covenants. Answer me, O Yahweh. Answer me. So these people will know that, O Yahweh, you are the true God and that you are winning back their allegiance. These are the two things he prays. Let them know that you truly are Yahweh. Remember the name Yahweh communicates the idea that he's absolutely unique and all-powerful above all other things, but he also intimately gets involved in your life. I want them to know that you are Yahweh and what that name means. And so that they will turn back to you. No slashing, no chanting, no blood sacrifice, just a simple, quiet prayer. Verse 37, answer me, O Yahweh, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Yahweh, are the true God and that you are winning their allegiance back. Then fire fell out of the sky and came down on the altar. you got to feel it. Then fire, this bolt of lightning comes dropping out of the sky, hits the altar. It says it consumed the offering, the wood, the stones, and the dirt, and licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they threw themselves down and their faces on the ground, and they said, Yahweh is the true God, Yahweh is the true God. Elijah told them to seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let even one of them escape. They seized them, and Elijah led them down to the Kishon Valley, and they executed them all there. It's bam, 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 bam. It consumes everything. Stones don't burn up. They get hot and crack and explode, but they don't burn up. 
And dirt doesn't burn up. If you've ever been a Boy Scout, you use dirt to put out fires. This is supernatural. This comes down and it burns everything up because Yahweh demonstrates himself as the most supreme God. Then they do response. The prayer is answered. They immediately begin to bow down and they begin to proclaim Yahweh. They prostrate themselves. They threw their entire bodies out on the floor and they begin to worship God. And they begin to chant, Yahweh is the true God. Yahweh is the true God. So his prayer is answered in addition to this. And then in fulfillment, Deuteronomy chapter 13, Deuteronomy 18, all false prophets in the land of Israel are to be executed. And they take them down and they execute the prophets and the people join them in this. This is repentance. Look, if you're willing to do the difficult thing of killing 450 prophets, you're not just giving lip service to Yahweh being God. You're committing yourselves. This is a true conversion that the first step of after walking up in front of the church and saying, I want to give my life to Christ, you have to turn around and kill the false people. That's a, that's a legitimate commitment to Yahweh to follow through with that, especially when these were the people that you were just listening to their sermons and following them just a couple hours ago. And you've now turned on them because it's, Baal has never, never has done this. But another way that he's like another Moses is that just as Moses has a mountaintop experience where the power of God is demonstrated in fire and lightning and storms, so Elijah has a mountaintop experience where God appears in lightning and fire and then eventually the storm comes from the Mediterranean onto the mountain. And just as the people were at the base of Mount Sinai as the law was given, the people dedicated themselves and they made a covenant with God at Mount Sinai. And then later after the golden calf, they renewed their covenant as well. Here, the people are also renewing their covenant. Elijah is leading them in a renewal of the covenant. And the word of them, the fire falling down, nafal, is the same word of the people falling down, nafal. And this is the same word that is used of Moses as well. This idea of fire falling down, nafal, and the people falling down before God in the fall, and this shows up with Elijah and his story as well. And then just like Moses, Elijah commands the prophets to be slaughtered. In the Deuteronomic law, Moses said all false prophets are to be killed, and Elijah executes that by killing all the false prophets. In fact, the word slaughtered, shakat, that Elijah does to the false prophets is the same word that is used when God commands us in the book of Deuteronomy. And so all these things show that Elijah is another Moses, both from a renewal to the covenant after a mountaintop experience with God, all the way down to slaughtering the people who are not of Yahweh and are trying to lead the hearts of the people astray. Verse 41, Then Elijah told Ahab, Go up on and eat and drink, for the sound of heavy rainstorm can be heard. This is a prophecy. The rain is a coming. So Ahab went up to the top and he ate and drank. So they go back up the Mount Carmel again. While Elijah climbed up on the top of the Carmel, he bent down toward the ground, put his face between his knees, and he told his servant, go up and look in the direction of the sea. He's exhausted. He gets down, brings his knees up to his chest, and just puts his knees between. He's like, this has been a long nine hours. And finally, it's all over with. It's like, it's like going to triple overtime in some kind of a game. And he tells his servant, so he tells Ahab. Now notice what Ahab does. There's no response from Ahab. And a typical Pharaoh-like response, his heart is still hard. It never says that Ahab responded to Yahweh. He never proclaimed Yahweh. He didn't follow the people. 
And the very next story is Ahab doing something really evil and corrupt again. And so the, the idea of him being the new Pharaoh is still being developed here. And so he went up to the top and he ate. Elijah's there and tells the servant, look out towards the west and look for the storm. And he looks and it's not there. And he looks and it's not there. And it's creating this anticipation. Now, most likely not a long time is going. The servant's probably going up and back and up and back. But the seven times is complete and eventually it happens. He sees a storm cloud in the distance the size of a man's hand. Now, what that does not mean is like this teeny little Olaf cloud is coming. <laughs> what it means is probably more of a point of perspective that it's like really far away, but it's coming. And it gives Ahab time to get away. Because then it says this, Go up and Ahab, hitch up your chariot, which is absolutely forbidden by Yahweh, according to the regulations of the king in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Hitch up your chariots and go down so the rain won't overtake you. Meanwhile, the sky was covered with dark clouds, the wind blew, and there was a heavy rainstorm. Ahab rode toward Jezreel. So, Elijah says, you're up here, get down from the mountain range, get on your chariot, and start riding as fast as you can all the way to Jezreel right here. Why? Because you have to ride your chariot through the valley of Jezreel. And if you ride through that now, when it's hard dragging dry, you're going to get through it. But when these flash floods, rains start coming down these mountains and fill this valley, it's going to turn to a monkey swamp territory and your, your chariot is going to get bound up. Now, there's, there's a couple insults that are happening here. You trusted in horses and chariots, Ahab. But you also want rain. But the rain is now going to make your horses and chariots inept. So you better hurry up and get back home because you can only have one at one time. This is why you don't trust in horse and chariots because you can't ride them through the land and have rain at the same time. You can either trust in your own power and your own military or you can trust in Yahweh to provide the rain that you truly want and need. You think you want and need chariots, but what you really want is rain and life and crops. And Yahweh has forbidden the one because you don't need it and he's providing the other because that's what you need. So you have a choice. You better ride as fast as you can to get back home because the rain that you so desperately want is going to make your chariots inept. But then it says, Yahweh energized Elijah. The spirit of Yahweh came upon him with power. He tucked his robe into his belt and he ran ahead of Ahab all the way. They wear a robe. In the ancient world, when you had these robes, like a really tight dress, you would try to run and it'd be like this. You can't really get your legs going. So they had this thing called girding your loins. And girding your loins is when you would reach down, grab the back part of your robe, and you would bring it up, and you would stick it into your belt to free your legs up like MC Hammer pants. (laughs) And then you were able to run with full motion. So the Spirit of Yahweh comes upon him, and he girds his loins for action and goes into the power of God. This is the exact same idea that Peter means when he says, gird your minds for action in the book of Peter. He's saying when the Spirit of God comes upon you, then you prepare your mind for action to use it in the kingdom of God. And that requires self-control and a sober mind and, and, and reading and meditating in the Word of God, all that kind of stuff. But then notice he outruns. 
Now, for a long time, I did not get this. It's like, okay, that's really cool. He's riding his chariot over 13 miles. And he's running with the power of four horsepower in this chariot. And then Elijah, this old man who is way behind, hasn't got started, all of a sudden starts running up and waves at Ahab and kind of just kind of goes by. He's running super fast. Nobody has ever done this. Later when we get into Kings, the prophets are literally called the horsemen and chariots of God. And I remember I, I highlighted this before. That Israel didn't need horses and chariots to fight their battles. They didn't need military advancements because the prophet was with them. And the prophet spoke the will of God. And all they had to do is go to the prophet and say, what should we do, Yahweh? And the prophet would talk to Yahweh and then tell them what to do. And then they would do it and the miracle would happen and God would give them victory because the prophet was with them. And so the prophet became the horse and chariot of God. And later, where we get to 2 Kings, Elijah is going to open up the eyes of his servant. He's going to see the whole angelic army of horses and chariots in the sky fighting on their behalf. And so the prophet became the physical, earthly manifestation of the angelical, spiritual army of God. And so he became the horse and chariot of God. And so the idea is, later it will say, God has no problem defeating horse and chariots. He did in the Red Sea, did with Joshua, all that kind of stuff. And then the prophets in Psalms, it says, we don't trust in horses and chariots. We trust in Yahweh and the word of God. The prophet is the word of God. So what Yahweh is showing here is that his horse and chariot outruns Ahab's horse and chariot. Elijah, metaphorically, is the horse and chariot of God. And he's outrunning the horse and chariot of men and military technology and overcoming them. And in this way, Yahweh once again shows himself absolutely and completely superior to all things that men of power have placed their trust in to provide. And this powerful man who is trusting idols and chariots and wealth and power is desperately trying to find water for his people. Yet Elijah, who's all by himself, not really, but kind of, who's serving God and is being, God commands, God, he obeys. God commands, God, he obeys. To simply praise and provides rain because Yahweh is blessing him. And this is a huge lesson to us as we, there's nothing wrong with having a lot of this stuff. God said, I want to give you good things. But the question is, do you trust in the modern day horses and chariots? Do you trust in your bank accounts? Do you trust in your lawyers and your doctors? Do you trust in your education? Do you trust in your presidential leaders to truly bring the blessings and hope and joys of life that you are so desperately wanting? Or do you truly just simply sit down and pray to God and wait for him to show up in your life and do miraculous things with no effort or advancements of your own and he will provide hope, joy, and blessings for you. And that's the question that this is. Yes, we cannot relate to horses and chariots and crops, but we have our modern day horses and chariots and crops today. And the question is, are you an Ahab or are you an Elijah? 